0: In this episode, we focus on the parents discussing co regulation, empathy, and compassion.
1: My name is Justin Santari.
0: And I am Mercedes Corona.
1: We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with learning about and applying the polyvagal theory.
0: Welcome to the Polyvagal Podcast.
1: We have our topic followed by one major announcement, in my opinion. Very and, major. Uh, major announcement. I think we have two homework assignments, and before we get rolling here, we do ask that you put yourself first. We keep every episode as safe as you can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff coming up. Uh, I think especially talking about parenting, we're going to reflect on the way that we were raised, so stuff might come up for you. Put yourself first, please. The past two episodes, we've talked about co-regulation versus self-regulation. We've talked about the importance of building the vagal break for our children and how that's a fundamental role or goal of parenting. Now, let's get a little bit more specific in applying parental co-regulation.
0: First, you need to understand that when your child is upset, they have experienced a danger cue. So another way of saying that in polyvagal terms is that they have neurocepted a danger cue and dropped down their polyvagal ladder into a defensive state. So this doesn't mean that they have actually experienced danger. It's likely something like not getting what they wanted.
1: It's. I think it's even more like they've they're dropping down the polyvagal ladder. But I know when, I know when people hear this, they're gonna think, "Well, I'm not dangerous," or "Get over it, kid," or whatever, right? Yeah. They're dropping down the polyvagal ladder, so like I think that's the most important thing. Like, would you agree that it, that it's not really an issue of receiving a danger cue? I mean, it could if a parent's like yelling at them. Obviously, that's a danger cue. If a parent is ignoring them. Or not providing basic needs like that, that, those are actual danger cues, but not getting what you want is not an external danger cue, but it's perceived. It's more of a perception thing. W- would you agree like it's like they're responding, their body's responding as if it's in danger in yes. a way. like it's becoming sympathetically aroused. It, the breathing changes to probably a lot more um, shallow, a lot faster. They're not they're not using their critical thinking whatsoever. Um, they are, so all, this is how the body responds when it's in danger. And this can apply with children, even when there's not actual danger, but it's the perception of not getting a need met or not getting even something they want. And then that triggers the body to respond as if it's in danger. Right.
0: Right. And again, it's, it's the neuroception, right? So that's the body's perception. So this is outside of conscious awareness, the body percepts. A danger cue, which in, in daily regular person terms, it means something's funky. <laughs>
1: there you go. So then it's up to us to set aside our judgment. And honestly, it's not easy to do. Uh, but if right. we do, when we're at our best, we should probably set aside our judgment and realize it's not about us. That they, their body is like primed to run away or fight or shut down at this point. And So even though for us, not getting the toy for McDonald's is meaningless, uh, but for them, it's apparently a real trigger. It could be a real trigger for them.
0: And I think it's important to say it has to do with the age and stage, like the developmental stage of the child. So obviously, a McDonald's toy to a 14-year-old will feel a little (laughs) bit different. But again, keeping it into the context of, of your child's age, you know... The fact that somebody wore the same sweatshirt hoodie as me at high, at at my high school, you know, class, because that's how kids refer to their schools, my high school (laughs) class. Um, you know, that's a big deal for a 14 year old and not for us as, you know, adults. Hopefully we, we've moved past that. And also, I want to say this, it can be a really difficult thing for parents to do to set aside the judgment that we have. Because if I'm being honest, goodness knows I've, I've had to stop myself from rolling my eyes so many times at my kids when they tell me this, because it's that thing where, you know, you live with them all the time and so you hear the same things all the time. And so one of the things that my daughter will do, for example, is she'll say, I'm scared. And I've learned over the past year, year and a half, that that means a a whole range of things. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm scared. It it means a lot of things. But... (laughs) Sometimes in my mind, my first like real, true, honest to goodness, like first reaction is I want to roll my eyes. So it is a really difficult thing to do to set aside the judgment as a parent.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. There's plenty of times where I I want to just say, we'll we'll get over it, like move on. Um, (laughs) But when I'm and that's when I'm not at my best, but when I'm at my best, it's it's validation and, and understanding. And yeah, it's frustrating to not get that McDonald's toy. Um, so I you know the validation piece of it can really help with I think co-regulation so it's possible that your child may not know what's triggering them um, and I think as parents and this is true for I mean every parent I've worked with probably they want to ask and for me too like with, with my kids my first thought is mm-hmm. well why if you're you had a bad day at school why or you're reacting a certain way why uh, We w- parents want to know why we want to know what happened uh, we want to know what bully to attack if we need to we want to for know reals. right yeah,
0: that's for rails right there.
1: <laughs> we want to know what teacher needs to be told what We want mm-hmm. to know all these things, right? We want to solve the problem, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily want to understand the problem. Uh, and this this stems from us wanting to make our kids' lives better, absolutely sure. but really, I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is an attempt to alleviate our own state shift. so my daughter, my daughter had a uh, a bully for a couple of years and it was getting increasingly worse. So when she would tell us about these things, our response was sympathetic arousal. Like we were pretty upset. So we we could have acted on that immediately and solved the problem, but I don't want to solve all of my children's problems. And bullying is one of those things where it's gonna happen in some some form or another throughout their lives, right? So I saw this as an opportunity for her to ask for help if she needed it, which she never did. And I said, do you want us to step in and help? And she said, no, no, not yet. But we saw it as an opportunity for her to figure it out, to solve the problem, to ask an adult for help, which she did. And we we asked her repeatedly, do you want us to step in? We will step in when, you're, when you need help. And that gave her complete control over when that happened. It got bad enough, though, where she wasn't asking for help. And we thought this is now an issue where we are going, we just have to step in on, right? We, we basically let it go. And it wasn't super severe, but it was increasing in severity. It was like, she, you know, she was getting stuff stolen from her, getting called names, oh, no. getting not physically attacked, but, you know, like there was, and it was only like third, fourth grade. Mm-hmm. But um, she was getting, um, like, name, was the name name called little bumps, like here and there. and then Oh,
0: like a little shoulder check? A like little quick... shoulder,
1: yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. Okay. And my daughter kind of did a couple things back, so we're like, well, you know, you're doing your, your part two now at this point. But, and then she pulled back on that and, and then really was a lot more bullying. And then there was one day where the bully grabbed her hoodie and pulled, pulled it, you know, and cut oh off gosh. her airway for a second. <gasps> and she, so she said, when she was talking about it, she, she, she said, um, "I thought I was going to die." Oh, that's no. that's the way she, as she was sharing the story, she's like, "I thought I was going to die." So for me, I'm like, "Oh, like that just kicked in the whole trauma thing, and you know, being being immobilized in a way and." Um, so I'm like, okay, at this point we are going to step in and you're not yeah. asking for help and I, that's fine, but we are going to step in and we have to at this point.
0: Papa bear mode. I love it.
1: So we could have reacted a lot earlier, and but the, I don't know if that would have given her the opportunity to experience the hardship and experience asking for help and experience attempting to problem solve. And then also experience that mom and dad will step up when it's ready. When time, when it, Like this is a time where we have to step in. Um, and we did, and I wrote a very nasty letter explaining how trauma works, and that my daughter was nice. her airways cut off, she felt immobilized, and this, these are some pieces of trauma. And I said, I am a school counselor; this is my expertise. You better act on this right away. <laughs> and and they did; they took it very seriously, and um, they took they took the steps to keep the kids separated, and whatnot. Oh, good. Anyhow, I guess the point is, and I don't think it's a perfect answer for any of this stuff, but I think the point is, like, we could have reacted the first time. But I think it would have been more about our own sympathetic right. like, fight-flight kind of thing. Resolving your
0: own – yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't Resolving think it would have your been – stuff.
1: Yeah. And it got to the point where it was no longer about our stuff. It was about the safety of our child. And that's when we stepped in. Absolutely. I think that when you're applying parental co-regulation, part of what needs to happen is to understand your state versus your empathy.
0: Empathy, if, if we break empathy down into its, its most foundational pieces, I think the best definition of empathy would be um, being able to understand another person's point of view, another person's feelings, and so in a way, feeling what they feel. So Justin, if you tell me that your daughter's being bullied, then I'm going to go into that parenting mode too because I'm feeling what Justin's feeling. And there's a there's good things about empathy, and I think we've talked about it in past episodes on the podcast. But the negative side of empathy is that sometimes it takes us out of our most optimum problem solving, like yeah, brain yeah. space. Good point, yeah. Again, the good thing about empathy is is that you can feel somebody else's feelings.
1: Uh, your state and your empathy don't necessarily go hand in hand. I see these as separate, and I think it's important to tap into. Your empathy for your child, being able to feel what they feel, and this will—if you do—if you're able to do so—that might be a state shift for you. Like that might be you dropping down the ladder and meeting them, and feeling that along with them. But dropping down the ladder doesn't mean it's empathy. It might just be that you're pissed off at whatever happening, right? right? So that's that's why I view them as separate. So empathy is really an attunement to your child's state shift to their pain.
0: It means consequently that there is going to be a shift of focus away from your own concerns, so the parent's mind has to shift to the child's stuff and away from the parent's own stuff.
1: When when with empathy, you mean
0: yes, when well, when we're talking about an attunement to the child's pain. So again, um, I I like your story, your example. So you could have gone papa bear mode immediately, because your state was possibly a state of of fight yeah. right like i'm going to go yeah. in there i'm going to take care of this kid i'm going to tell the teacher and the whole <laughs> school you know but the attunement that you had was to kind of go to that place with your daughter and let her kind of get through her own state on her own like you know kind of problem solve through her way through that if if your state had taken over then that would have been the misattunement with your daughter's state so you as the parent had to shift away from your stuff to focus on your daughter's stuff
1: empathy is an attunement to your child's pain right that's kind of what we're saying which is different than your own dropping down the ladder okay
0: yeah we're so we're tapping into our empathy for our child as opposed to existing in our own state
1: so that yeah that's different than our own shift which which is a misattunement where we have our own stuff going on which is not necessarily in alignment with that Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so for example if a kid needs a hug but that repulses us. So if a lot of parents don't do well with physical touch or hugs or affection. So mm-hmm. if, they, if there's it might be a feeling of I put repulsion, but it might be just pulling back or discomfort or whatever you want to call it, that, that repulsion is our own thing, right? And it's a misattunement to the child state. The child seeking out a hug is seeking out connection, safety, and, and being social. But for the parent, they're pulling back. That's their own state shift separate from the child. That's a misattunement exactly okay so but we so we can't ideally we're not going to react just from our own state shift based on that and ideally we're also not going to react just based on empathy after tapping into your empathy we then need to tap into the compassion that we have for our children you know compassion is really i don't feel like i have a great definition so correct anything you you've add to this please if you can mercedes but okay. i see compassion as empathy plus your desire to help your child. So you want to help while also understanding where they are coming from, which is different than solving the problem, which focuses on like facts and solution. And I think a lot of times what we call problem solving is really us getting upset and then like acting on it without really being attuned or being empathetic to our children. And it doesn't really come from... Compassion is, again, empathy, so being attuned to them plus wanting to help, pulling from your care and your love. So putting the empathy plus your own care, love, and attachment to your child. and So I'm calling that compassion. Empathy is understanding the emotional impact of the problem. So let's go back to the McDonald's one. Actually, let's go back to the wearing the same outfit at school. I like that one for for all the 14-year-olds out there Um, or the parents of (laughs) 14-year-olds. Yeah. So empathy is understanding that that child who's wearing the same outfit. Actually I, I can't relate to this whatsoever. So help me hey, understand. So. Like what's what's the big deal? <laughs>
0: the big deal is, and this is me look, it was a long time ago that I was fourteen, so I really don't care right now. But um <laughs> so we're both tapping into our compassion and empathy. Okay. Um, because when you're fourteen, you are that's the time of our lives that we're trying to individuate right we're trying to become our own person so if i'm wearing the coolest outfit i have in my wardrobe and i put it together and i'm so original and i'm so unique and then girlfriend over there has the same outfit what the heck now that kind of it's like it's a you know but going back to polyvagal terms like it's a danger cue like now she's threatened my uniqueness etc etc you get it
1: so the empathy would be tapping into the feelings of what disappointment frustration not being unique enough
0: the feeling of 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 threat that i'm not like threatening my individuality maybe also a little bit of intimidation like a who wore it better kind of thing like maybe she looks better oh, in my super unique go. outfit again stuff that i honestly don't care about at my current age but, but empathy we're talking about empathy and compassion
1: gotcha all right so that's the empathy part of it so compassion is working with your child To resolve the problem while honoring the emotional impact. So the solution to the same outfit issue is what? To stop shopping at Hot Topic like every other kid? That's where all the kids go that want to look unique. They all go there.
0: (laughs) I want to say yes, but I really feel like that answer is coming from like an adult brain. You know what I mean? Because if I'm 14 and I want to look cool, I have to go to Hot Topic. Is hot topic even a thing anymore? Like I know yeah. it's still a store, but do kids still go there for the coolest stuff? I don't know.
1: I, think I don't so. know. I don't know. Honestly. I'm
0: so far removed from it. But um I I would kind of go a different way with it though. Like, cause to me, see, that's solving the problem. I would go to a different way of like maybe in that moment just kind of validating and empathizing, empathizing a lot and just saying, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. That must have been so you know, insert emotion here, I don't know, frustrating, embarrassing.
1: The solution here might be to just listen and to hear their level of frustration or whatever there it is that they're feeling, which is super important.
0: (laughs) That sounded a little sarcastic, Justin. I told you there's a a big part of me. There's a
1: big part (laughs) of me as a dad that's just like, dude, get over it. And I have to, that's not me and my best but that's definitely a part of me
0: no but this is exactly what we're talking about right like here's a real life example from the corona household um so ripped jeans are back <laughs> and i will not i will not buy a pair of brand new jeans that already looks like they've been <laughs> worn for three years i will not do it but this is very uncool for me as a mother to do because my ma- All the cool kids are. She doesn't say that. She doesn't say all the cool kids. But she's like, Mom. This is what she kind of says it like that. She calls me mommy in Spanish. So, mommy. That's how she says it. She's gonna be mad if she ever listens to this. (laughs) But she'll be like, mommy, I have to wear the ripped jeans because that's what that's what is cool right now. That's what that's how kids are dressed. She talks to me as if I don't understand. What the youth culture you, you is
1: like? You don't.
0: You I, don't. I don't. We don't. But it's a very condescending. She's only 11. She just turned 11. Oh, she doesn't get God. to be a teenager yet. The ripped jeans and the compassion and the empathy. I have to understand this is important to her. I don't care about ripped jeans and I still won't buy them. But it's important to her. So I. She,
1: the compassion then is just hearing her out then. Because you're not going to like break your hearing value. Her out. Yeah. If the value of the parents is we're not going to buy damaged clothing, then that does <laughs> compassion doesn't mean we, we solve the problem by giving them what they want. It just means that I'll, I'll listen to you. I'll take you seriously um, and expect the best out of you and blah, blah, blah. But um, the solution might just be to listen. I think so. Of course, you could also do problem solving if there's like my daughter that was being bullied, like there was a problem and we offered to solve the problem with her, which she declined. But we understood what she was going through. And we love you so much that we're willing to step in and help out. What can we do to help you out? Here's some options. And she would say, no, I want to work this out. Okay. So the, the, the solution in that moment was not to jump in and take over. The solution was to let her know we understand. And we're here to help you as soon as you need help. But we do expect you to speak up. Like that was that was the way we showed our compassion.
0: But I was thinking that's the solution for you though. So again, just trying to get people to think like the solution for her was... I do not want my parents to step in. Mm -hmm. So because, you know, again, just it's it's a maybe a syntax thing or whatever. But you were saying the solution is to step back and let her take care of it. But we need to put ourselves in kind of the kids shoes. That's the empathy piece. And the compassion piece is, you know, maybe letting her do it her way for now because it wasn't a safety issue yet. And so the solution for her was to keep my parents out of it and see if I can handle it.
1: So applying uh, parental co-regulation, uh, using face to face interaction is very 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 important but is pretty much useless unless you have a safe environment really so doing face to face interactions in front of a you know volcano I don't think it's going to go very far <laughs> but in a private location it's a really
0: specific and unusual example
1: true story no it's not <laughs> <laughs> but if you do face to face Interactions with your kids in a private spot in the house where no one's going to interrupt and you can have a serious conversation, that, that's going to go a lot farther than with the TV on or um, with, you know, with kids running in and out and hitting each other and stuff like that. At not school,
0: in front of the other kid wearing that, yeah, the same outfit.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Part of this face-to-face interaction is eye contact. Eye contact is extremely important. Um, I always recommend to the parents I work with, do not force your kids to make eye contact with you. Their their eyes are out of your control. Don't attempt to control their eyes, Uh, but do offer up your own gentle eye contact. That means if they look away, don't follow them. Don't like move your head in front of their (laughs) eyes. Oh yes. Don't stare at them with wide eyes.
0: It's very intrusive.
1: Yeah. So you just want to like I just it comes from love. It's safe. It's social. It's just you're looking at them gently. I don't know how to better explain that, but that's just sort of like it just comes from love. And it's non-threatening, non-intrusive.
0: Yeah, I think you explained it well.
1: Them looking away is an in- indication of being down the ladder. And they're, it's really a flight sort of mini behavior. So mm-hmm. if you don't let them look away, you're sort of cornering them and you're taking away one of their outlets, which is a very healthy, easy thing just to look away. Nothing, there's no problem with that whatsoever. Right. But if you take away that outlet, you like what are you leaving them with now is either... They're going to become more aggressive or shut down, really, in, in that order.
0: Well, exactly, right? Because the next step after flight is fight. And so if you're cornering them, you're not giving them the flight option. They're going to fight. They're going to get more aggressive and and or then shut down.
1: But, you know, if it's a teacher or someone you perceive is more powerful than you, then you that perception might just send you straight into shutdown. And right. that's going to look to parents like being more compliant. Or like, okay, now they're following my rules, but really they're just shutting down and giving in. And I don't think we want kids that are shut down. We want kids that are um, on the same yeah. page with you and that are working their way back up the ladder.
0: Well, and as parents, if we're inadvertently sending our kids into shutdown, that's not going to do anything for the relationship. Because at the end of the day, when we're discussing, you know, as part of the parenting series, we're doing all this. At the end of the day, the point is... We want to improve relationships with our kids and we want to do the little tiny things, the little, the little baby steps that will get us to a better relationship. So inadvertently sending your kid down the ladder into shutdown, not going to make it not like we're not going to reach the goal of improving relationship that way.
1: So smiles, when it comes to -to face-to-face interaction, uh, being a safe environment is very important. And that just means a private neutral location, really Um, eye contact is important. Gentle eye contact from your end is important. And then smiles are also important, not fake, and not like this constant plastic fake smile. We're not talking about that. And then also vocal prosody is important. This is different than commanding, you know, that sort of like forceful, monotone, deep, uh, sharp sort of tone. Um, So not commanding, it's really the opposite of that.
0: And not fake either, because if you're faking vocal prosody, that's going to sound like sarcasm.
1: Yeah, sarcasm doesn't go very well. People down the ladder doesn't just doesn't go very mm-hmm. far. Um so prosody, we've talked about this a ton. And I don't expect parents like you said not to be fake.
0: Oh, really? Like it it's a big deal that she wore the same <laughs> outfit as you? Really? You really feel upset about that? Like there's kind of a lot of prosody in my voice, but but I'm still but there is still prosody like I'm using lots of inflection. And sing songiness.
1: What about with the kid who doesn't get the McDonald's toy? Would it, and they're, up, they're throwing a fit. Sorry, buddy. You didn't get what you wanted. I know it sucks. Maybe we'll get it next time.
0: Because, because you could say it genuinely and say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm really sorry. I know that you wanted the Superman and you got Batman. And they hate each other. So maybe we'll get Batman Ooh, next time. There you go. yeah. So that's you know, a genuine right but like the way you said, it, it could be super sarcastic.
1: So with the with the with the same outfit, a mm-hmm. genuine a genuine approach to that would be like, yeah, it does suck, and man, that's so frustrating because we put so much time into picking out the right outfit.
0: Yeah, I knew you were excited about your first day of school outfit, and I can't believe Jenny was wearing it too. I'm so sorry to hear that.
1: But that's like it sounded very genuine. That sounded really genuine versus, oh, that's so bad. I'm sorry that happened to you. Which has up and down, right? But didn't sound genuine, right? It was fake. Right. So applying parental co-regulation, you have to be able to self-regulate as best you can.
0: I think you've been saying it really well during this episode and saying, you know, at my best. And I want to say it was the most recent episode because I was listening to it this morning in the car and sometimes our best isn't isn't our greatest but in that moment if that's your best in that moment that's all we can ask for for any of us we're human beings
1: so self-regulation is really important and we've said this numerous times your child self your child self-regulation is built upon your co-regulation but in order to co-regulate you need to be self-regulated first and this is not super easy it's very difficult but you're listening to this, which tells me that you have the motivation to do better when it comes to your own self-regulation. So we have to focus on the positives and the hope, and build from there. So we can focus on what people are doing wrong all day. It doesn't help. I'm assuming that you want to do a step better. That's what we got to focus on.
0: So a big piece of this is to disengage from your own stuff. So this is a really big thing here, and I, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get through it together, guys. Justin and I, and you, dear listener, this is a really big piece. So we've mentioned during the series that parents are human too. We were just talking about this. So if we're human too, this means that we have our own danger cues. We may or may not have learned effective co-regulation in our own childhoods. And our placement on the polyvagal ladder may not be safe and social all the time. We might not be at the top of the polyvagal ladder all the time. But to be at our best as parents, we need to be able to access that state. We need to be able to tap into our safe and social state. So this means that when we are actively parenting, so this means, you know, in the moment with your kids, we must disengage from our own stuff, our own baggage. So here's the trick of this. Our own stuff, it doesn't go away, like it's still there. We just kind of set it aside for a little bit, put it in the closet, close the door, and then, you know... This is so that we can prioritize the needs of our own children in that moment. Sometimes it helps to visualize, so you can actually visualize that your stuff is actual baggage, like it's actually a piece of luggage. You're gonna take your bag, your luggage. I have a fun—well, it's not mine; it's my daughter's. It's a pink, hot pink Hello Kitty suitcase.
1: I love that having it be very specific for the imagery. Like I like that a lot. A hot pink. Because it really gets you out of your. Sure, whatever people someone wants it to look like, but it gets them it gets them up into their creative space. It gets out of our state a little bit in then the visualization of setting. I love that. So being very specific with how it looks, and yeah, that's awesome,
0: yeah. So you can definitely create your I don't want to say create your own baggage, but you know <laughs> we have our baggage and whatever it looks like. um maybe mine is hot pink and hello kitty shaped. And so I'm gonna take my bag. I'm gonna take my luggage. Put all my stuff in there, zip it up and throw it in the closet. If that visualization doesn't help you, you can you can like find something that works for you. You could put it in the kitchen cabinet, you can put it in a jar and seal it up. There's lots like of different ways. I like the
1: jar ways. one. That's my go. You uh, like the I, jar? Like the, I like the jar one or visualizing that the issue is a football and then I'm kicking it very far away.
0: Whatever visualization works for you. I do like to offer um, Different ideas, just because I know that different things work for different people. I like the idea of putting it up on a shelf. Like someone once told me, like folding it up like a T-shirt and put it on the shelf. It's there. Our stuff doesn't go away. Again, we each have our own set of baggage. And I don't want to invalidate anybody's stuff, right? I have my stuff. I I think Justin has some stuff, right, Justin? I
1: think so, yeah.
0: In the football shape. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it doesn't go away but we need to set it aside put it in the closet seal it up in the jar while we prioritize the needs of our children in that moment this is really really difficult to do a little moment of validation here it is really difficult to do but the more you practice it the easier it becomes it really does I know this because I practice it the first thing I do is take one big deep breath and this really is extremely helpful Because that's kind of my cue to stop and almost like switch the camera around. Like if you imagine like holding a camera that's pointed at you, let's go ahead and point that camera down to that kid because that's what needs to happen. So taking full breaths and really slowing down to self-regulate. This will help you as a parent self-regulate. The kids will pick up on this. They will notice that you are self-regulating and they will feel the shift in connection with you a positive shift towards connection with their parent and this will help you keep yourself in control of yourself
1: the last thing here is to combine your state awareness to your empathy to your compassion all these things are happening i think at the same time or they, or they could so really we got let's try and combine all these things so for example here your child wakes up at 2am after waking up from a nightmare the parent wakes up very irritated because the, the kid has come to them and woke them up. They wake up. If you're like me, you wake up irritated. Just that's the state you're in when you open your eyes after being Every asleep. morning? Yes. They recognize, the parent recognizes that they're irritated and they are in a fight state with an impulse to yell and command the child back to bed. The parent consciously sets that aside, deciding it's best to not say anything And to take a deep breath my son wakes me up every night almost every night to go to the bathroom or just to sneak into our bed so this is very doable so after doing so after they decide not to say anything and to take a deep breath they allow themselves to become more attuned to their child and to feel empathy so that this parent will tap into their own feelings of waking up from nightmares and maybe consider just in their own life there might be some bigger stuff going on that they're stressed out about And maybe that might be one of those things that they set aside. But really in this moment, they're setting that aside and they are making the decision to take a deep breath and then to allow themselves to be empathetic with their child and to feel what it might feel like to wake up from a nightmare. And the parent at this point, once they're more empathetic, they're going to listen to the child, but also they're going to listen and they're going to hear them out, hear what they were dreaming about or how they're feeling. And they're also going to bring their own compassion in at this point. So they might hold the child. They might listen with some eye crinkles. They might give them affection, make eye contact, smile, and give lots of reassurance. And then they bring the child back to bed with affection and reassurance. So that's kind of how putting all these pieces together might look uh, for a kid. At least in this example, a kid is waking up in the middle of the night. Announcements. Major announcement.
0: Major.
1: Uh, I will be interviewing Deb Dana. She and I hope she lets me just call her Deb Dana. with I don't want to call her Deb. I don't want to call her Miss Dana, Mrs. Dana. I just want to say, Hey, Deb Dana. Let me ask you about this, Deb Dana. Just it just goes together. It it shan't be separated, and I it hope she's okay with that. It
0: shan't and and will not
1: wilt be separated.
0: Won't is is the correct oh, yeah, right. abbreviation. <laughs>
1: so. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm excited because I get to just call her Deb Dana, so I'm hoping that's what happens. Deb Dana. She she is the author of The Polyvagal Theory in Therapy. Mercedes is still reading that. I think you're reading that one right now, right? Yes, yes. Uh, It's one of the the books I've read that I absolutely loved. Um, It's
0: really good.
1: She does a fantastic job of applying polyvagal theory to therapy, much as the title would suggest.
0: There's therapeutic skills in there, but it's also stuff that can be applied to your own self. So a lot of the... you know, the examples and the she gives lots of exercises and lots of ideas of how to really apply the skills. And it's stuff that I've honestly mostly like figured out how to apply to myself rather than my clients. Yeah. Of course, I've found client stuff, but it's really awesome. I'm really, really enjoying it.
1: I can't wait. She's one of my polyvagal trinity. Now, when I say trinity, what I'm referring to is the DC Comics trinity of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. So I'm one of my questions I want to ask her is which member of the Trinity do you want to be? I'm gonna let her pick Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman.
0: The best one. Batman. Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah. Right. Mm-mm. So that's one of my questions I plan on asking is which of the which of the polyvagal Trinity borrowed from the DC Trinity do you want to be? So that means I'm really gonna ask her that. I really want to. Yeah. Yes. Because Doctor Porges, I didn't get to, I didn't ask him that. You know, but I wish I had so okay, I got what I got, about
0: Peter Levine when you interview Peter Levine he's
1: he's the third part of the Trinity, so are you going to ask Dr. Him? Porges yeah, of course check Deb Dana almost a check. Peter Levine will be my third check for the Trinity, and I will be able to die peacefully. your homework assignment we have we're let's do two homework assignments here. the first one is to take a deep breath before acting. So practice take a deep breath before you respond. That's a big one. Um, so the second homework assignment is let's talk about the baggage again. We want I want to see your baggage. <laughs> I want you to draw or take a picture <laughs> of a bag that you will re- that will represent your baggage that you set aside in the moment. So post a picture of your baggage in your stories or on Twitter, I guess, or uh, your Instagram feed. And let's do let's do hashtag polyvagal baggage. How about that?
0: Polyvagal baggage.
1: Let's do hashtag polyvagal baggage. Tag Mercedes and I if you can. We would love to see your baggage. I want to see what you're going to use to visualize setting aside your baggage.
0: And if it's not an actual piece of luggage, if it's a jar, if it's, you know, whatever thing, something, you know. Love it. In the oven. Yeah. Do it.
1: Hashtag polyvagal baggage. All right.
0: I love it. (laughs) Two
1: homework assignments. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, Mercedes and I would love to hear your thoughts. On this episode in the Trauma Nerds Community Forum, it's the non-therapeutic forum for the polylegal podcast listeners to discuss the episodes with each other. We hope this episode has had a direct and positive impact on you. Check the description for a link to more detailed show notes. Thank you once again and goodbye.
0: Thanks. Bye. I should just do our outro music myself